Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week on the show, we are talking with Dan Savage. He is at the forefront of all of the good sexy things. (laughs) That includes Savage Love, the podcast, Savage Love, the column in The Stranger, and on the more serious side of things, the It Gets Better project, which helps queer kids know that when they grow up, it's all going to get better. I will admit that I have listened to Dan's podcast for years. I find it is a master's class in how relationships work, all sorts of relationships. <laughs> and one of my favorite things that Dan does on his show is that when people call in and ask for advice, often sex advice, he, if the call is interesting enough, will call them back. And Greta, we ask people to call us and leave nerd confessions. And this one, this nerd confession is so good that I want to call them back. That sounds good. I think we should do it too. But first, let's just listen to a little bit of this original voicemail. Hi, Trisha and Greta. This is uh, JV, and I have a nerd confession for you. So my nerdy obsession is mermaids and mermen. To clarify here, he is saying mermen as in male mermaids, like Triton, Ariel's father in The Little Mermaid. And Eric becomes a merman too, right? Isn't that That's is that not how, how The Little Mermaid ends. That's no. not how it ends. They don't both no. go back to the ocean and party with Sebastian. No, I mean, Sebastian can exist above and below the water, so he gets to stay with them. But no, it's about <laughs> getting legs. It's not about getting fins. Oh, they're all waving goodbye from the water at the end, huh? <laughs> we should clearly rewatch <laughs> The Little Mermaid. Your memory of it is murky at best. <laughs> well, that's all to say that there aren't that many mermen actually in popular culture. But in any case, let's listen to the rest of this voicemail. I love mermaids so much that I, well, decided to make it my career. I'm a professional merman performer, which has led to me also becoming a published author, a model, and an educator. My merman name is Merprince JV, and I've been a professional since 2012, and I've been tail swimming for about 10 years. When I'm in the water, it feels like I'm flying, and when I'm resting on shore, I love seeing the joy in the faces of the people that walk by and see me. It's pretty awesome. I just have so many questions about life as a merman, so we need to call Merprince JV back. Yep, let's do it. Hello? Hey, is this JV? This is me, yes. All right, awesome. So, I am Greta. Trisha, you want to say hi, too? Hello! Hi! Hello! Oh, my God. (laughs) We have to say we are super excited to talk to you about this nerd confession. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty great. Let's get a couple basics out of the way for folks who are listening. You are a professional merman, a male mermaid. What does that look like? I have a costume that I wear and a character that I sort of created a little bit. And I live in a very rural area, so I do this a lot at the lakes that are around here. We have quite a few of them because I want to go to the beach. I'll just sort of set myself up at the beach and I'll just sort of be there and people can come take pictures with me. At a certain point, I stop them because I go swimming because that's 
kind of the other reason I'm there. But um, <laughs> I also, every year during the summer, at least once a month, go up to New York City, Coney Island specifically, and uh, I sort of hang out with my mermaids there. With your mermaids, you got a posse? Yep, I do. I have a pod of mermaids. Oh, that's fantastic. So can you describe what the tail looks like? It's sort of designed after an orca. It's uh, made out of latex and neoprene, which is wetsuit material. In the bottom of it, there is a monofin, which is essentially, if you've seen swim fins, it's like a swim fin, but just one instead of two of them. It's very form-fitting, and it's uh, (laughs) pretty awesome. I bet you can go really fast when you're swimming with that thing. Oh, yes. So the first year that I had my tail, um, I went swimming at Coney Island, and I went out farther than the rest of my friends. And then I saw, like, all these seagulls swirling around next to me. What I didn't realize is that that's a sign that there are sharks Ah. next to me. (laughs) I didn't realize that at the time until I, like, looked at the shore, saw my friend waving at me, telling me, no, you need to leave. Like, you need to go. Um, I don't think I've ever swam faster than <laughs> that moment. But in general, yeah, it can go pretty pretty quickly. Oh, my gosh. And you know sharks love mermen. Oh, yes. Merprince yeah. JV, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette and sharing your nerdy obsession with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is completely an honor and wonderful. We wish Merprince JV and his pod of mermaids at Coney Island all the best this summer. I wish I was going to visit them. It would be fun to see them in person, but happy swimming. Watch out for sharks. Mermaids at Coney Island. That just sounds so good. And tiny sharks. Teeny tiny sharks. Call and leave a nerd confession. We may just call you back. That number is 312-600-5638. All nerdy obsessions welcome. Where the people are. We want to see... Wanna see them dancing, walking around on those. Hey, what do you call? Oh, <laughs> feet. When's it my turn? Wouldn't I love, love to explore the world up above? Out of the sea. Wish I could be. Part of that world. Okay, now let's get to our conversation with Dan Savage. Regular Nerdette listeners know that our show is usually pretty PG-rated, but this is your warning. Here's the warning. Today, that is not the case. We're talking to a sex advice columnist and podcaster, so there's going to be some adult themes, some adult language. You have been warned. It will be a sexy time. <laughs> We talked with Dan Savage when he was in Chicago recently for Hump Fest, which is an amateur porn festival that travels... International porn festival. <laughs> it travels not only across the U.S., but also throughout the world. And the deal with Hump Fest is that this is about a diversity of desire, right? So that means body types, that means gender and sexuality, all of that good stuff. And it means kink. You know, people who maybe take a little cosplay into the bedroom. We have a question that we debate sometimes here on Nerdette, and so I want to get your answer right off the bat, which is, is kink just nerd sex? Is it just being nerdy (laughs) about sex? There's a lot of overlap between the nerd community and the kink community. A lot. A lot of costumes in common. A lot of costumes and a lot of overlap between cosplayers and kink players. Maybe that's the same little chunk of the brain. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what makes people 
kinky, why some people snap onto some stimuli or exposure early in life and form an erotic connection to it that is lifelong and kind of compulsive and compulsory. Nobody knows. And so people have observed that you'll meet a lot of nerds in kinkland and I think that just makes Kinkland uh, more interesting, more and more and more fun. It's funny thinking about even that phrase too within Nerdland, talk nerdy to me, right? I mean, uh-huh. there is just like so much weird, interesting crossover there, I think. Yeah. I think uh, with Hump, that's one of the things that it's all about, right? Is like everything's cool. As long as everybody's having fun and having a good time, let's sort of see what everybody else is into. But I wonder for you, what is it like to watch people watching things that are not their thing? Like, oh, what is it like to watch the audience? It's my favorite part of Hump, actually, because by the time we do the screenings, I've seen every film a thousand times and we've been putting the festival together and we curate it. And we actually watch the audience during the screening because one of the things we tell people who take part in Hump, who participate, is that this is where you can be a porn star for the weekend <laughs> in a movie theater and not porn stars for eternity on the internet. <laughs> yeah. So we can't have anyone taking video or photos during the screening. So we police the audience and everyone has to put their phones away. And I watch people watch the show. And you have you know, 20, 30 short films, gay, straight, bi, trans, kink, vanilla, hardcore, softcore. And there is this thing that happens at almost every screening where people, gay guys are watching Conolingus and straight guys are watching gay guys get fucked in the ass and uh, people are, who are vanilla are watching hardcore kink porn and cisgender people are watching trans porn made by and for trans people about their thing and their sexuality, not just performing transness for cisgendered porn trans fans. And there's this great thing that happens where in the first like 20 minutes, first four or five, six films, Everybody's just thrown back in their seat because <laughs> that's not my thing. Those aren't the kind of bodies I'm attracted to. The the age ranges, the so- the whatevers. That's not my th- not my plumbing, not my kinks. Because <laughs> when you think about it, you're home alone, masturbating in front of a computer, watching porn. You just click on exactly what you want to see. We click for you at home. You don't get to click. <laughs> and so people are watching porn they would never in a million years watch on their own. And all people can see it versus what's not theirs, what's different, what's not mine, what's freaking me out. And then there's this moment where just the mood in the room completely flips, where the same audience of people who are freaking out or thrown back in their seats are laughing, cheering for every film, no longer having that, oh my God, reaction, (laughs) even if a new film comes up that's something they haven't seen yet. And I think what happens is there's this moment where everybody, this group of, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred people who could only see what was different suddenly starts seeing everything that's fundamentally the same. That, for me, is not the mission of Hump. Hump is to titillate, entertain, and have fun. But it is this ancillary benefit to Hump that people have that epiphany, I think, perhaps subconscious epiphany, where they get more comfortable with everybody else's desires, passion, turn-ons, bodies, whatevers. I imagine, too, part of it is just that first few minutes, the uncomfortableness of sitting in a theater, like the Music Box Theater, this lovely theater here in Chicago, and watching something that you might be uncomfortable, even if it was three friends at home on the... Maybe it's weirder, actually, with just three friends at home on the couch yeah. than it, a big group experience Because you never know what's going to happen, three exactly. friends at home on the couch. <laughs> there might be things that might happen that you don't want to happen, three friends at home on the couch. You know, that was the test of Hump. We, I, a friend of mine at work, we came up with this idea, let's do an amateur porn film festival, let's do a call for submissions... And the publisher, The Stranger, was just against it. It'll never work. No one will make porn to be shown in the city where they live. And we finally talked him into letting us do the call for submissions to see if we would get stuff. And we did. We got a lot of really great, interesting porn. And then 
we booked a theater and the question was, would people come sit in a movie theater next to strangers in the dark <laughs> and watch pornography the way their grandparents used to? <laughs> like they, the old days. Yeah, when they saw Linda Lovelace or Behind the Green Door or Caligula or whatever it was. And the answer to that was yes, people would absolutely do that. And it's kind of a joyful and fun experience. Well, we have to give credit to you for that, I think, because I think there's a level of trust that you've cultivated, especially in Seattle over the years that that meant that that was possible for the first time. I don't know if people would have submitted Mm. had they not sort of entrusted you with their stories. Yeah, and the promise we made everybody was uh, we're going to do our best to make sure your porn stars tonight in this movie theater, not eternity on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's huge. And we destroy all the copies of the films after the festival is over, and we shred all the paperwork a year after each festival so that, you know, we don't have files of people's releases just laying around our offices getting lost or misplaced, that we really do work to protect people's privacy. Because there are people out there who might like to share their sexuality, share their bodies, perform this way, who have, you know are exhibitionists, or they have some other mission that they want to accomplish, but they just don't want their grandchildren <laughs> to like fire up the computer chip, the Apple chip in their brain in right. 40 years yeah. and, and watch what or grandma and grandpa are up to. Or three years because somebody catches it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is also a consideration. Yeah. Is there criteria beyond the fact that like someone submitted it knowing that it was a porn festival? Uh, no. That's awesome. You know, we've had films in Hump. Uh, there, there was a film a couple years ago called Go Ahead and Pee, and it was just a woman in a gray unitard jumping on a trampoline while a voiceover said, go ahead, pee. Wow. And then there was this moment where you realized that her gray leotard was getting a lot darker in the crotch and down uh-huh. the legs because she had gone ahead and peed. And then it was over. And people were like, that's not porn. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Look it up. Yeah, There's yeah. a whole, like, online uh, kink around uh, wetting your pants around or forced urination or whatever it's called. And so that is, that was somebody's porn. That was somebody's thing. And they shared it with us and it was kind of fun and funny and amusing and humanizing and awesome. Sensually encouraged urination. Something. That's amazing. <laughs> Gone ahead like, and peed. Seems like there's a graceful transition to be had, but we're not going to have it between this conversation and one of the other things we want to talk to you about, which is the real O'Neill's. This was initially called the sort of Untitled Dan Savage Project, right? And now it's this ABC sitcom (laughs) a couple years later. I'm gathering that maybe you're sort of watching the show more than actually being actively sort of on set or anything. I read the scripts and I share some thoughts like uh, (laughs) real Northside Irish Catholics don't go to the St. Patrick's Day Parade was one of my thoughts. They they had a whole episode built around this family. This Irish Catholic Northside Chicago family goes to the the St. Patrick's Day Parade with their own float. And I was like, that wouldn't happen. But I guess it happens in sitcom land. Shannon, come on, get down here. You got to try on your costume so we know if it still fits. I was thinking maybe we don't do it this year. Shannon, my leprechaun hunter outfit would look a little idiotic without a leprechaun to hunt. Time for shenanigans. Dad, it always looked idiotic because that's not a thing. Yes, it is. It's our thing. But as I get bigger, both the costume and my dignity shrink. Sitcom land is a special place, it as is we a very special know. Place. But what drew you to wanting to do something with TV like this in the first place? Like, what was the goal going in? Just to be in a place where I could tell more stories or, or do new stories. I have a theater background. I had a theater in Seattle for many years that was very successful, which is like having a successful pancake shop at the bottom of the ocean. Like, people aren't going to find out about it. <laughs> I love ocean pancakes. I know, right? Like, the hardest to get pancakes in the world. But we did really good theater, but we did it in Seattle. We should have done it in Chicago or New York. And I'm just sort of a frustrated theater faggot who wants to, like, put on shows. And I can't put on shows in theaters in Seattle 
or in New York, but I moved into TV a little bit and met people in TV and began to make contacts in TV through being a guest on shows, but doing my own thing on MTV. And then people wanted to have meetings with me for scripted, it's called, yeah. to talk about any ideas I might have. And I had a courtesy meeting at ABC and I said, well, you know, that time my dad divorced my mother, I think would be a hilarious Rosanny kind of sitcom. And then I laid it all out and they were like, oh my God. And they hard writers who then did their own thing riffing on the idea sure. that just it moved very far away from the initial concept. And that's fine. And it's its own thing. And I'm happy to observe and read the scripts and uh, observe the process. Um, I think Noah Galvin, who plays Kenny, the gay kid, and Martha Plimpton, and Jay Ferguson and, and, and Matt Trevor and Beebe, they're all great. Like, the cast is amazing. Yeah, they're really fun. And so I'm really thrilled to uh, be a fan of the show. But I'm not, you know, some people think it's your show. People call me and say, or tweet me, like, that joke you wrote wasn't, like, I didn't write it. I'm not. <laughs> Executive joke, producer too. doesn't mean I wrote all the jokes. Right. Yeah, yeah. But there's one thing in it that the Catholic League freaked out about. There's actually one thing in the whole show that's like, that's from my pitch. That's from <laughs> the thing I talked about. And it, the Catholic League has blown up that this is an insult to Catholics and no Catholic would ever do this. But it's actually something my mother, who was a devout Catholic till the day she died, did, which is when you see in the bathroom at the O'Neill house, there's a statue of the Virgin Mother on the back of the toilet tank. Mm -hmm. And those statues of the Virgin where she's kind of like glancing downward that, that are meant to be like on mantles or in niches and churches looking down at the faithful. You put it on the back of a toilet tank yeah. and the <laughs> angle of wow. the eye angle is like right to – Mm -hmm. If you're standing up in front of the toilet taking a piss, right to your dick. Yep. And my mother or did that. Or if you're sitting down. <laughs> yeah, looking over your shoulder at yeah. what you're reading, which yeah. is very rude of the virgin mother. <laughs> but my mother did that. She put the virgin on the toilet tank because she had a husband and three sons, and she wanted us to remember to put the seat down <laughs> oh my God. for our mother. So that virgin was on the toilet tank to guilt us into thinking about our mother and remembering to put the seat down because <laughs> mothers are important. Yes. And my mom actually did that. And the, it's been fun watching the Catholic freak out about this insult and this um, sacrilegious wow. uh, because those of us who are really Catholic and live it and grew up in the church Catholics like my mother and my dad inhabited it fully which meant it wasn't just about devotion and it wasn't just about seriousness they also had a sense of humor about yeah. their faith and a sense of humor about the statues and a sense of humor about the plaster saint thing and could be in church. My dad could be in church giving a homily on Sunday as a Catholic deacon and passing out communion and being funny about his faith on Monday morning or being funny about his faith an hour later. That's not an insult to the faith. That's actually kind of an accurate representation of people who are truly faithful, which means you have a goddamn sense of humor about your faith as well. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. 
You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita. Who has a question because... <laughs> yes, Trisha? We heard about Humpfest. Mm-hmm. Please tell people how it is that you took your mm-hmm. mother with you to go see this. You went with your mom to Humpfest. I went with my mom to... Yeah, it's still really weird to think about. I mean, what happened was we had this great conversation with Dan... And, you know, it was the weekend of Humpfest. And so I was like, hey, my mom's in town. Like, Dan, could you get us some tickets to Humpfest? And I hadn't really thought it through. And then all of a sudden I was like sitting in this really beautiful old movie theater here in Chicago next to my mother, bracing Watching myself people. to watch porn. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was it was really I mean, you know, I've talked about my mom a fair amount on this show. She is like a very open hearted, open minded human being. Um, I, this is about other things being open. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we saw a lot of things that we have never seen before. And it was fascinating. I'm just going to say that. Did. <laughs> yes, Trisha. <laughs> did she like because she laughs really loud at funny. Movies. Yes, she That's does. one of the things I love most about your mom yep. is that she just laughs with her whole heart when she, she really thinks does. something is funny. Mm-hmm. But I wondered, like, did that happen to her watching these? Were they funny or was it just uncomfortable? Yeah, no, most of them were. I mean, a lot of them were pretty funny. Some of them were intentionally funny. Some like there were just goofy minutes within them. I mean, it really ran the gamut from like, you know, weird scripted. Like there was this one about a semen collector that was pretty funny. Um, there was also like a cover of I Kissed a Girl, but it was I Fist a Girl. That one got Ooh. a little intense. Okay. Um, but was still humorous. That song was stuck in my head afterwards for days. <laughs> oh, <God>. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Let's hear a little more of our conversation with Dan. I know that for you, musical theater is sort of a a, a place where you and Kenny, the character in the show, have some commonality. Listen, um, I just have to tell you, like, Trisha has just been waiting for the past 10 days to be able to talk with you about musical theater. <laughs> this, is, this is it right 10 days here. is when we've been talking about it. Maybe years. I, yeah, I, I mean, say. yeah. I yeah. love musical no. theater. Everything, everything <laughs> I needed to know about life, I learned from musicals. Talk a little more about that, because I think people like Greta, who are uh, late to the party, she's a Hamilton fan, so now I'm trying to convince uh, her that there's more Ravi's to the world. Hamilton fan. No, exactly. sorry. Exactly. No. Oh, my God. Guys, have you heard about musical theater? It's a thing. I just yeah. heard Hamilton. I know. That's uh, yeah, I That's called her. up Trisha. Yeah. yeah. I just That's didn't her. grow up on him, you know? Like I yeah. But I think you and I in, in kind of a similar way grew up on him. My dad was sort of a generation removed from from the age of the rest of my friends' parents. And so we like Friday nights was MGM movie musical night on VHS. And and that was sort of what the family came together around. It was very much what our nuclear family did together. It was the common interest my mom and dad both have. Yeah, it seems niche and it seems queer now, musical theater, but it really was mainstream pop culture. Frank Rich writes about it, you know, in Ghostlight is really terrific memoir about growing up that musical theater was was pop culture musical theater was Beyonce dropping a new album I grew up in a house you know my parents were a little too old to be hippies uh, but their younger siblings were all hippies you know I would go to my uncle's house and there would be the Don McLean album and uh, whatever hair but my dad uh, who's you know straight Irish Catholic cop had an eight-track tape collection that included Camelot and Oklahoma (laughs) and Cabaret and Carousel. And those are the things I grew up listening to Was were those eight-track tapes. And I loved them. And they spoke to my soul in this way that I don't never quite understood. But really was the first sign. I came out to my parents as a teenager, which is rare for gay men of my generation. And they had no idea. They couldn't have known. And I looked at them and said, when I was 13 years old, turning 13, my 13th birthday, you asked me what I wanted. And all I wanted was tickets to a chorus line. <laughs> and you couldn't infer from that that something was up? And they couldn't then because for them that wasn't – 
a dead giveaway. That was just something that? everybody was interested in. I don't know. I don't know. It became that when rock and roll ruined everything. Oh, yeah. So do you think it is coming full circle, though? I mean, with stuff like Hamilton and Glee. I mean, I think Glee. that... <laughs> but I mean, even then, like those, the live TV, what was the live Peter musicals? Pan, yeah, you know, I feel like it is maybe coming back around where, like, to say you love musical theater now doesn't necessarily indicate that you are like a closeted gay man or an out of the closet gay man. <laughs> Some of us are out sure, of the sure, closet that's about fair, that's fair about the, loving musical theater and sexual preferences, loving dick and shows. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it is uh, coming around. Maybe you, you see, uh, you know, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Yeah, you know who. Not only, uh, you know, did Book of Mormon, but South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut is Mm -hmm. the best movie musical of the last 20 years. And I include Chicago uh, in that. I think Mm -hmm. it's better than Chicago. And they have just this uh, three-dimensional love for and understanding of musical comedy, tropes, cliches, and are able to do it and mock it at the same time, which is what South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut was. But then Book of Mormon was really just doing it and loving it and knowing it. And they're straight guys. And so maybe it's come around. Maybe everybody's back. Welcome back to the musical theater, folks. The gays are like the uh, the Irish during the Dark Ages. We saved civilization. <laughs> we uh, sat in our... Uh, our, our uh, Preserved it for the rest of us. We've been right. waiting back Copying and recopying the texts in our <laughs> monasteries. And now along come the straight people ready for musical theater again. And we saved it for you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so what's next for you in the worldwide media takeover? I feel like you're doing all all of the things like what haven't you done when it comes to taking over the world um What's well next? i just sold another tv show <laughs> yes. but this time i'm writing it that's oh. what really what i learned on the real o'neill is if you really want to mm-hmm. be in charge of what gets on the air you have to stand up and write it um they did ask me when i first pitched abc on the the idea that became the real o'neill if i wanted to write it and i was like oh my god i'm too busy to write it I feel like if you wrote it, though, you would need to be on a network that doesn't bleep the fox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I go on NPR and sometimes I get angry notes when I'm on like This American Life or on NPR from people who read me or listen to my podcast. And they're like, oh, you weren't really yourself. You oh, weren't wow. swearing. You weren't the. And it's like, you know, when you're ha- at dinner with your yeah, mom and her your sisters, audience. your aunts, you know, you're out, you don't like drop fuck bombs and make butt sex jokes <laughs> in front of your great aunt who's a nun. But you're still yourself. You're just like a different sort of side of yourself. And I would have, you know, if I'd write, written a sitcom for ABC myself, I would have written sort of a different thing, just like my column doesn't look like something I would write for the New York Times. Right. Uh, and, you but this time... You can't assume in the New York Times that all your acronyms that have developed over decades uh, will be understood by the audience. But, but I have, uh, <laughs> I, I did actually get the dirtiest joke ever onto the op-ed page of the New York Times without them realizing I did it. <laughs> oh, really? No, I want to know what it is. Look Do I have up to my, go look it up? The op-ed I wrote about Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Look for, you would think they would be looking carefully in that one for look for pitching tents. Ooh, I like it. Excellent. I like it a lot. Well, what can you tell us anything else about this new project, or um, just that it's happening? Uh, just that it's happening, right. and it's about uh, two couples, and it is really moving into a space where a space. God, I sound so LA right now. <laughs> um, it's going to a, a place and writing about something that really I think twenty five years of fielding questions at Savage Love has prepared me mm, for. Cool. It's about two couples. One's in a sexless relationship that works and there are sexless relationships that work if everyone's happy and content doesn't matter if there's sex or not and one's in a kind of non-monogamous very sexful relationship that works and uh one person from one couple and another person from the other couple become friends as their relationships begin to stop working and it's about the collapse of a sexless marriage and the collapse of a non-monogamous marriage huh 
Wow, All right. that sounds really good. And the the fox will be bleeped. No, they will oh, not. Good. Because this is Yay. going onto a platform where we can not only not bleep the fox, but show them. <laughs> Well, we'll That's all perfect. look forward to that. As we know, with TV, it sometimes takes a very long time to actually get it done. I remember the first time that something bubbled up about the TV show, The Real O'Neills. It was like a couple years ago that that something popped up, and I remember I, a friend of your brother's, and I was like, "So, is this going to be like? Are we going to see some iteration of you? Because that will be hilarious for me to watch <laughs> on screen." But uh, I don't think that that's really even in the show. Even the family structure is a little different. You don't have the yeah, same amount of siblings, even not so. the same amount of siblings. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very different. I would say though that there's something in the show that I think does reflect my relationship with Billy. There's only two brothers, not three brothers, but the older straight brother and the younger gay brother get along like a house on fire and have each other's backs in this way that Billy and I did growing up. Mm, That's very sweet. I like that. Yeah. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson. Dan, one thing I was wondering about, I feel like your work puts you in such intimate interactions with like such a huge variety of people. It's got to be really rewarding in a lot of ways, but also kind of maybe exhausting if you're not necessarily ready for it. And so it got me wondering, like, do you have a version of a Sabbath when it comes to like staying away from do you, do you draw lines where you're not on Twitter? I'm just curious. <laughs> My version of Sabbath is called marijuana. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I I take breaks that I, you know, I, I live in Washington State where marijuana is legal. And, you know, we can go to the marijuana shop now and buy edibles and I buy lozenges. And every once in a while I'm like, you know what? I'm just a little too wrapped up in crap right now. So I'm going to put this lozenge in my mouth and an hour later I will not be able to be wrapped up in anything except <laughs> maybe House of Cards. There you go. It's funny. I really love your use of the term culturally Catholic because I like to say that I'm culturally Lutheran, which really doesn't mean anything except that I like to eat potatoes. <laughs> and you're going to hell. My grandmother would interject if she was here. No, no, man. Me and God, we're fine. No, we got grace. No, no, no. No it's Pope, no heaven. No Pope, no heaven. <laughs> no Pope, no heaven. <laughs> I consider myself sort of half culturally Catholic, too. I uh, My mom was Catholic. My dad was like assertively, almost aggressively atheist, which is always a fun combination in a household. And uh, <laughs> and I remember your story that you did for This American Life back in 09 for Return yeah. to the Scene of the Crime. It was one of those moments for me when I first went, oh, this is radio. Radio can do this. And so I, a little bit of why I'm in this room at BEZ is thanks to you. So thanks for oh, that. That's what you're saying. Um, thank Ira for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, he's thanked enough. Yeah, you don't that's need to true. keep thanking All those Peabody's out there. <laughs> he's fine. He's got an Emmy and a Peabody. And a, um, <laughs> to hell with him. <laughs> but but I, did find it, I did find it refreshing to hear someone sort of say, if you don't feel like the trappings of a religion actually belong to you because you've rejected them in some ways, but then as soon as you lose someone or you're in a moment of crisis, you realize why other people are using them and you kind of want them but don't feel like you deserve them. Right. They, they provide a structure to moments that you, where you're literally going to pieces. Like we would not, when my mother was dying in front of us, we literally would not have known what to do or say at, at those moments or do with ourselves at those moments. How to pass the time while your mother's dying in front of you. 
and still conscious and realizing she's dying. Like, what do you do in that moment? And to have those, to have those prayers, to have those incantations, to have things said for and in front of, and to say them with your mother that were said with her mother and her mother's mother and going back, you just felt this connection to your own mortality and a way to solemnize a moment that otherwise was just so shot through with rage and despair and anger and loss. And there's something to that need for for ritual. And you can pull out, and as I realize, when I say I'm culturally Catholic, what I mean is like I've removed or, or, or what's fallen away is the belief in the hocus pocus or the higher powers or supernatural anything. But what remains is an appreciation for the ritual and for everything else that accrued around the hocus pocus that is really just musical theater that's really yeah. camp <laughs> in a is. way being sorry grateful right <laughs> and that stuff for us humans is sort of seems to be hardwired into our consciousness and the way we express ourselves and to have your cake and eat it too to have your to have your rituals that you've shared with your family without having to have the hang-ups or the hocus pocus or the belief in spooks I think we should be able to do that. And it was my Jewish friends who actually modeled that for me. When I talk about being culturally Catholic, you know, I was sort of a bitter ex-Catholic, won't go to church. If I go to church, I'm not going to like stand up when other people stand up, sort of indignant jerko. But it was, you know, hanging out with my Jewish friends who helped start The Stranger in Seattle that I moved there with to help get The Stranger off the ground, who I knew to be bacon-eating atheists with crazy senses of humor who then all got together for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Mm -hmm. Kippur and did it and did it for real. And I was like, how do you do that? You don't believe it. Because culturally we're Jews. And I'm like, oh, okay, culturally I'm Catholic. So I can hang on to all the crucifixes. I can have a crucifix on the wall literally in every room of my house Mm -hmm. because it's comforting that tortured guy now to the cross with the abs. It's comforting just to feel like home. He's got a great bod. He does. And it it does feel like home because the crucifixes that are on the walls in my house belong to my grandparents and great-grandparents. Who's, you know, I know my grandparents. I don't know my great-grandparents' names. But I have their dining room set and I have their hymnals and I have their crucifixes and I have their statue of the Virgin. And it's just in my house and it just makes me feel grounded. Dan Savage, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. My pleasure. It was really fun talking to you. Musicals, everybody go out there and listen to Go see to a show. Yeah. Once a day? Did you just say that? Yeah, once, <laughs> at least once a day. I listen to musicals all day long. One singular sensation Every little step she takes One Every move that she makes. Thanks so much to Dan Savage for joining us on Nerdette. And thanks for the tickets to Hump Dan. <laughs> I would not take my mother to a porn festival. This is one of the ways in which you and I differ, Greta. That's true. I love Marsha very much, but yeah. Trisha, can we just take a minute and realize that like when we started Nerdette almost three years ago, Dan Savage was like a totally crazy dream of a person for us to interview? Yeah, that was pretty fun. That's pretty cool. This show is produced by us. I'm Trisha Bobita. That's Greta Johnson. Yes, our interns are Sebrin Mallard and Maya Cole. 
Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and he has not seen The Little Mermaid. That's so weird. So in the rewatch, I think we're going to all have to watch it. Okay, okay. Our senior producer is Joe Dussault, and I don't know if he's seen The Little Mermaid, but he is invited as well. I feel like he... I don't know. Most people have, haven't they? I just default assume that people have seen The Little Mermaid. You also default assume that they ended the movie in the sea, so we're rewatching it. <laughs> We would like to thank you for listening to us wherever you are listening to us because, in fact, you are listening to us. But we would really appreciate it if you subscribed or followed or whatever it is that verb is on whatever platform you're using. iTunes, Stitcher, NPR One, we are wherever you are listening to things. It's also really nice when you give us nice reviews on whatever that platform is, like Singer Kate did for us on iTunes. It helps spread the good word about the show. And Singer Kate's review I liked a lot because it ended with the words, GO TEAM! in all caps with an exclamation point. And I like to think of us as a team. You, me, singer Kate, we're a team. I also just really like things that are in all caps and end exclamation points. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose! (laughs) (laughs) You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Goodreads. And is this true, Trisha? We're really, we're on Snapchat, huh? Oh, I am. You're you're snapping? As Nerdette. I'm not really, I don't know. Yes, follow us there. Tell me what to do, please. (laughs) Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where you can find a great variety of podcasts for nerds of all stripes. If you're a nerd who likes fiction, dive into the world of Pleasure Town. If you're a music buff, Sound Opinions is for you. If you're a movie nerd, check out Film Spotting. You can find all those shows at wbez.org slash podcasts. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.